0: Hello and welcome to CBS Radio Mystery Theater from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. That's hand in glove, tonight at 10.30, right here on 81
1: KCMO. That's coming up in about three minutes, just before 11 o'clock.
0: It's 81 degrees, your latest radio mystery theater presents... G. Marshall. Tales beyond logic appeal to something in our primitive senses. Thus, the other dimensional territory of the psychic realm, the supernatural, is one of the favorite domains of the storyteller. Now, a question. Is there a supernatural force outside the normal knowledge of man, a force he cannot control when it seeks to enter and alter his life, sometimes for good, sometimes for evil, Does the supernatural exist? There are those of you who will answer yes. Others, no. It may be that the case history, the enigma we are about to examine, will revise your opinion. How can you believe such hogwash, Dan? You, a doctor, a man of science. How can you forget the law of cause and effect? Every effect has a discernible cause. The cause of what's happened to you cannot be some non-existent supernatural hocus-pocus. Our suspense drama, Hand in Glove, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Nancy Moore and stars Russell Horton. I'll be back shortly with Act One. hospital in a certain city, a strangler was loose. In that place, meant to save lives, five lives had been horribly lost. Not on the operating table, but at the hands of a madman lurking in the corridors, stalking his prey. One murder each week for five weeks. The strangler's victims followed an unvarying pattern. They were always nurses, always young, always pretty, and blonde. The hospital is gripped with fear. Let Dr. Stuart Courtney, chief of staff, take up the story. As the end of another week approached, we doubled security to prevent murder six. Police, disguised as doctors and orderlies, were stationed on every floor. Now, another precaution was about to be taken. Dr. Daniel Crane, one of my young, talented surgeons... I'd come up with the idea, and we were in the process of carrying it out. One by one, hospital personnel were being called into my office. Uh, who's next on the list, Stuart? Uh, Laurel. Your girl is late. Mm. Do you realize Laurie exactly fits the description of the five victims? Young, blonde, pretty... And a nurse. You know, I have nightmares about it. I see that killer with his hands around Laurie's throat. Does Laurel have nightmares, Dan? Huh? She does. She won't admit it. Come in. Oh, it's you, Jed. We were expecting Nurse Blair. She said to tell you she'd come as soon as she could. Jed, you know why you're here. Oh, mm, Something about protection's all I know. Been short-handed. Got to do twice long work. We're trying to hire more help, but no one wants to come here. Thanks for not being one of the orderlies who quit. Oh, not me. I don't run, Doc. And we're grateful. Now, take a look at this. It's a siren. Small, but efficient. Everyone in the hospital will have one, Jed. The idea is this. If you see anyone or anything suspicious, one blast from that siren will bring help on the double. It's a swell idea. Let's hear it. Uh, 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 Doctor, uh, don't blow it till I close the door. Every cop on the floor will swarm in here. Right. Oh, and you better not blow it full blast either. It's built to be heard through doors. I won't. All right. Test run, Jed. (whistles) Oh, say now, real uh, police siren, huh? Mm, And that's only a fraction of how loud it can sound. So here you are, Jed. It's on a chain. Now wear it around your neck so you can get to it fast men.
1: Uh, nurse, they're reporting. Hello, doctor.
0: Oh, hi, sweetheart. Come in, Laurel. All right, Jed, that's all. you better get back on the floor. Sure hope I never have to use this whistle. Amen. <laughs> hey, uh, would you close the door, please? Oh, yes, sir.
1: I heard about the sirens. They're a wonderful idea. The stranger will hear about them and won't think they're wonderful. Oh, don't look so bleak, you two awful, but I have a feeling it's over. It won't be
0: a number six. Oh, hi, Miss Boyer? I So you got your siren.
1: Yes, I, I keep fingering it. Would it be someone's lifeline? Mm.
0: Sounds like you don't much like it.
1: I love it. What I don't love is I have to go to the supply room. It's so far away from everything, and I'm... But don't tell Doctor Dan I said this, Jed.
0: But I'm scared. Oh, sure you are. Blonde hair, no wonder. <laughs> In your shoes, who wouldn't be?
1: But I don't want Dan to know that. He's worried enough for both of us. But have you got time to go to supply with me? Oh, sure thing.
0: Wouldn't let you go alone. Like you say, so real far away from everything.
1: it's I even think one of the patients might be the strangler. Mm-hmm.
0: Gets out of bed and chokes people out
1: now. No, no. An ambulatory patient. Someone in a wheelchair. Someone who can really walk, but we don't know it. He pretends he can't. Then when no one's around, he gets... uh, See, I, I, I told you it's crazy.
0: Well, it's not crazy. Could be. Could be anyone. Maybe... Hating the doctor,
1: huh? Yeah, I guess that's possible. Did he hate women? Is that it?
0: Hates nurses. Likely some little blonde chick in a starched cap treated him like dirt.
1: Kill five nurses because one nurse just... Oh, look, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. Well,
0: here we are anyhow. Oh, no, 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 never mind. I got the keys. Oh,
1: thank heaven you came with me. A so round. No. Oh, I can't thank you enough, Jed.
0: I'd better uh, close the door. We wouldn't want the strangler to corner us in here.
1: Good. Now, let's see. I need uh, bandages, towels, and sweet bl... Why are you staring at me?
0: Blonde. Little. Young and Gender. Oh, Jet. A stranger ain't a patient, honey. I ain't a doctor, neither. Guess who? You! Oh, don't touch me! Uh, 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 won't do you no good to back away. Don't you come near!
1: Oh,
0: oh, oh. oh no, no, no. You don't. Give me that.
1: Damn you! Damn you! Go ahead. Run! They'll
0: hear you! They'll catch you! Jed ran. Laurel siren screeching behind him. He raced in the opposite direction from four men responding to the siren. Two police, Dan and myself. Jed raced straight into the corridor's dead end. Trapped. He turned at bay, pistol in hand, firing wildly. He missed. Or I thought he had. Single shot from a police gun brought him down. He lay spread evil, the bullet in the region of his heart. I was a doctor. I knelt beside him, felt for his pulse. It was weak, erratic. I heard Laurel cry out.
1: Dr. Courtney, look at Dan.
0: I'm all right. Is that animal dying? i give him five minutes at the most. No. No. I'll, I'll kill a lot of you.
1: Dan's not all right. His hand.
0: Then I saw it. Dan's right hand, his operating hand, was shattered, nearly severed from his arm. I heard a voice saying incredible words, my own voice. Dan, the instant this killer dies, I will amputate his hand and replant it at your wrist. What? That can't be done, Courtney. You mean it's never been done. We've got to try. My hand on him. My curse on him. Attendant. Stretcher. Get this man to OR three. Dan, go there yourself. Get moving. Get Jed Gant for surgery. Uh, uh, curse Dan, flame from hell. Uh, curse him forever. The reimplantation by microsurgery technique is not uncommon today. Severed limbs reattached. Arteries, veins, nerves, bones, tendons reconnected, but always on the same person. The limb of one person had never been transplanted to that of another. Now, maybe it would be. With my surgical skills, BX7 and the good Lord willing, this would be a first. The operation took seven hours. After the implantation, blood circulation had to be restored in no later than six hours or the tissues would die. The operation a failure. Five hours later, circulation began. A miracle, Stuart. You've made medical history, Doctor. But will there be movement in your hand then? That's the question now. Under that bandage, every finger has to begin slight movement within a day or two, or it's a flawed miracle. Just pray your fingers move. My fingers? Jed dance fingers? No. Your fingers now.
1: Courtney says you have to keep trying. What do
0: you think I've been doing for two days and three nights? I lie here and... I tell you, it's no use, Laura. The fingers won't move. Danny, try. For me. Maury, honey, it's a dead hand. A dead hand. What was it he said? I'll curse you from hell.
1: Yeah, he's done it. Now, stop this kind of talk and try to move one finger at a time.
0: All right, sweetheart, all right. Come. Um, nothing. First finger. <sighs> Zilch. Middle. Sorry. Th-
1: it moved. I saw the bandage move. The, the fourth? The fifth? All of them. Jet can't burn
0: in hell. They move. They're my fingers now. Came the great day when the bandage would be cut away. Dan sat in the chair smiling, all his cynicism forgotten. Beside him, Laurel, there to celebrate. The unveiling. All right, let's begin.
1: Oh, Danny, I'm so happy for you. Hold
0: still, Dan. I can't wait. I... I felt like a prisoner. Excuse the pun, but the prisoner will soon be out of bandage.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> almost finished now. Just one last nip. There we are. Okay, it's off. Here's your new hand, Doctor. <gasps> Good Daddy. Lord, it's, it's huge. It's red. I, I, I'm supposed to go through life with this. I. I... <laughs> I can't even look at it. The hand of a chiller, and it's grafted to me... Just, that... just calm down now. Dan, you must have known that Jed's great paw wouldn't look like your own aristocratic hand. Well, I knew, but my mind didn't go this far. You wear a glove, that's all. Now it looks underneath, doesn't matter. No one will see what the glove covers. Yes, of
1: course. The way it looks won't matter at all, not a bit.
0: It matters. Maybe more than we know. Under the glove... Jet can't. Dan finally left the hospital with Laurel to finish recuperating at home. The gloved hand was functioning remarkably well, and he drove Laurel's car himself. No problem, till he neared his apartment. At an intersection, the car suddenly went out of control, swerved toward a pedestrian, and nearly ran the man down. Dan braked just in time, pulled to the curb. He sat in stunned silence, his head on the wheel.
1: But darling, darling, don't be so upset. Nothing happened. A close call, but nothing. Danny? I can't drive the rest of the way. All right, I'll drive. Hello? Yes? Honey. Honey, what is it? You acted as if you hit the man. You didn't. I don't know. I... I'm not sure. But of course you didn't.
0: I'm not sure if I try to hear him. If I wanted to.
1: Oh, Danny, that's crazy talk. No, no, no. I, I think this
0: hand jerked the wheel on purpose. I wouldn't want to run a man down, but the killer this hand belongs to Wood. Honey, I think it acted separately from me. Oh, don't say that. Jed Gant, I'll curse you from hell, he said. What if he's doing that, Laurie? What if Jed is still alive in his hand? I repeat my original question. Is there a supernatural force man cannot control when that force seeks to enter and alter his life? Daniel Crane is confronted by the same question when he asks one of his own, What if Jed Gant still lives in the transplanted hand? I, for one, would answer no, at least at this juncture, I would, after what is about to happen. But that is for Act Two, shortly. To Dan's recuperation at home. No other alarming episode occurred. His gloved right hand was as obedient as normal as his ungloved left. Laurel happily assumed that the car incident was forgotten and Dan's foolish fears put to rest. She was wrong. In her absence, he would remove the glove, staring at the rough, crude hand attached to his own wrist. He felt, or imagined he felt, its hate crawling up his arm, spreading through his body. The hate of Jed Gant. Over and over he asked the question. What do you want of me? What do you plan? Dan finally returned to the hospital. Not as a patient, as a doctor, but not yet a surgeon. As a superior, I felt it better to wait for that. He seemed subdued, detached, not himself. After some ten days, I sent for him. Yes, Dr. Courtney? Then I think it's time for you to resume your surgical duties. No. No? No, I was sure that you'd be eager to. No. I presume this reluctance has something to do with your substitute hand. You presume? No. How could this freak thing have the skill of my own hand? It's a monstrosity. How could it handle delicate operating instruments? Damn, your training hasn't changed. Your brain and talent haven't changed. Your own blood courses through that hand. Now, you've got to test yourself. Test your hand. I'll assign you to a minor operation, an appendectomy, say. And I'll be there assisting. If all doesn't go well, I will take over and there'll be no harm done. Now, what do you say? With obvious reluctance, he said yes. I scheduled the appendectomy. In the operating room, the personnel watched, fascinated, and in spite of themselves, apprehensive. The incision had been skillfully accomplished when suddenly, horribly, an animal sound tore through Dan's surgical mask. The delicately held scalpel now was gripped like a dagger. Dan raised it high to plunge it into the patient. Dan! Not Dan's voice. Whose? I rejected the name that stabbed my mind. We <laughs> grappled with Dan. He was led from the room. I completed the operation and went to find him. He sat in his office, a beaten man. Jed Gant. His curse, it's come to pass. Dan, that's impossible and you know it. What I know is that this hand has a fiendish life of its own. Jed's life. I suspected it that day in the car. Now it's proved. All that's proved is that mentally you're not recovered from the physical and emotional trauma of losing a hand and its replacement by another. That accounts for what I did in OR? You're a physician. You're a man of science. You know every effect has a discernible cause. The cause of what happened in there is not some non-existent supernatural hocus pocus. The cause was nerves. My nerves had nothing to do with it. This hand acts apart from me. I've no control over it whatsoever. I, I... Doctor, I can't and I won't live with it. Now, you attached it. Now, you unattach it. What? Amputate. Cut it off. It's the only way to break the curse. You can't believe in anything so unscientific as a curse. Or ask me to destroy a healthy, functioning hand... No! Then I'll find a doctor who will. No reputable doctor would be party to such an unethical procedure. Now listen to me, Dan. Now what you need is a longer leave of absence. More time to rest. To see a psychiatrist. Now I suggest Dr. Wexler. Now will you promise me to do that? Dan? All right, all right. Now leave me be. He did take the lead of absence. He did see Wexler. But Dan Crane certainly did not rest. Far from it. Defying every effort of his will, the capricious behavior of his hand increased. Mind you, it was never out of control in my presence or anyone else's. My information was secondhand. I had the report from Dan. The fingers flex, jerk. <laughs> not all the time, and at, at odd intervals. I can't stop them. Or that they tighten into a fist, curl like a claw. I can't eat with the hand. It flings the fork across the room, grabs the food, crams it into my mouth. I have to use my left hand or starve. Shave with the left for fear I'll cut my throat. But why none of this in front of me or in front of Laurel? How do I know? How do I know anything anymore? Dan became more and more a recluse. Refused to leave his apartment. Allowed no one entrance there except Laurel and me. Then, on a bleak afternoon... Laurie, forgive me. But after today, you're not to come here anymore.
1: Oh, Danny, don't say that.
0: You think I want to say it? Sweetheart, I can't take the chance any longer of what I might do to you. No, no, not me. This, This thing that's no
1: part of me. I know you believe it will hurt me. I know that's why you stay across the room from me. Well, I don't believe it. Oh, please, please put it to the test. Take me in your arms.
0: Don't ask that, no.
1: Then I'll take you in mine. No,
0: no. Don't don't come here. Stay away, Laurie. No. I'm warning you, don't come any nearer.
1: You love me. I love you. I'm not afraid. Uh, uh... Look, I'm close. out to me.
0: place, Laurie, and don't ever come back. Laurel was now half convinced of what she had never believed before, that Dan was possessed. She left the apartment. But two days later, she came back.
1: I heard of a psychic, a seer, a woman they say can break spells. Oh, please, please go to see her.
0: A sorcerer? I come to this?
1: Oh, you've got to fight fire with fire. You believe you're in the grip of something supernatural. Or maybe you are. This woman deals in the supernatural. Please go to her now, Please.
0: Shall I tell you why I'll go? Because last night, I tried to cut off this hand. Oh. And I couldn't. Was I afraid of pain? No. Jed's hand struck the knife from my own hand. Where is this woman? The gypsy woman called herself Zorina. In the traditional fortune teller's lair, she wore the prescribed turban and jewels. Dan was told to sit opposite her at a small draped table and honor a crystal ball my surprise. He told me in detail what happened. I'd made up my mind not to tell her why I came. She said, put my hands on the table. The right hand was gloved, of course. She asked no questions and ordered me not to speak. She spoke in a phony, foreign accent, claiming she would see all she needed to know in her ridiculous crystal ball. (laughs)
1: It begins. Not clear. Not yet. Clouded mist. Ah! Now. Now I see. A claw. A claw. I cannot tell if. A hand. The hand of... Uh, I see now. I see. The hand of an assassin.
0: Doctor, the instant she said assassin, Jeb's hand grabbed the crystal ball, raised it to hurl at Zorina. That same instant, her hands thrust forward, fingers spread, and she was shouting some kind of
1: abracadabra. <laughs> Crazy
0: <laughs> or not, it worked. Jed's hand was immobilized, frozen in the very act of murder. She pried my fingers from the ball, set it back on the table, staring at it. At last, she turned to me.
1: A curse is upon you. You are under a spell for a very long time, you know. I know. Can you... Can you end this hell? Not I. You can end it. You.
0: You think I haven't tried?
1: You will end it with water. What? Go from this place, this country. Put water of the sea between you and the soil where the cursing fell upon you. A sheep. You must stay upon this ship. Until the curse loses its power. Until the evil goes from the hand you wear. I know what you'll say, Stuart.
0: I don't care. I am going. I'll I'll try anything. Except what you should try, Dan. Go back to your psychiatrist. You never should have stopped. I was with Wexler long enough to know my mental state doesn't explain my condition. Rubbish. Your mind is off track or you wouldn't have consulted a fortune teller and then believed all her claptrap. They're fakes, every one of them. What about the way she hypnotized the hand, stopped it from killing her? Dan Crane is not a killer. Dan Crane stopped that hand. (sighs) All right, what about Jed's voice coming out of me when I grabbed the crystal ball? Now, you heard his voice yourself that day in the operating room. What about that? This about that. You have so identified with Jed that under extreme stress, you use his voice. Exactly the way an actor assumes a voice other than his own. It means nothing. Dan, listen to me. Wait, wait, wait. Now, just answer this. Will it do any harm for me to take a ship somewhere? Yes. You could go deeper into mental deterioration. Dan, go back to Wexler and give psychiatry some time. Give yourself time. Thank you for your advice, Dr. Courtney. I will consider it. Dr. Crane did not consider Dr. Courtney's advice. He had given way completely to primeval fear. If that explains his condition... Or was he indeed the victim of a curse? In any case, he booked passage on the ship to the Orient. Laurel pleaded to go with him. He refused. In Act 3, we will learn where that voyage takes him. To sanity or insanity? After boarding the ship, Dan went directly to his cabin. The ship put to sea, but he continued to sit alone, fingering of all things the small police siren he'd worn on that catastrophic day when he lost his own hand and became heir to the hand of Jed Gant. Who is it?
1: Laurie! I had to come, Dan. I couldn't let you do this all alone. Please, don't be angry with me. Oh,
0: I... I'm not. I... I thought I didn't want you with me. I you now I know I do. thanks for knowing it yourself
1: <laughs> So long since I've seen you smile
0: because something good has already happened to me look uh, for some reason I, I brought this siren along. If I sat holding it in Jed's hand I thought he or it would be enraged because a siren yours is what got him caught and killed. Now I've held it like this for nearly an hour. No reaction from his hand at all.
1: Well, what do you think it means?
0: Water. The ocean. What Zorina predicted. Maybe already it's coming true. Four days at sea and the hand appeared to be tamed. The rest of its fancied powers. To avoid any embarrassing incident... Dan had taken all meals, with and without Laurel, in his cabin. Always, even when alone, he could eat with his right hand, shave with it, right with it. But he still refused to jeopardize Laurel. Physically, they were as separate as chance acquaintances. Every day, Dan's spirits lifted, yet he continued to wear the siren, thinking of it as a kind of amulet to ward off the evil spirit of Jed. Then, on the fifth day... Laurie, what do you say we... A brave dinner in the dining room tonight. They sat at a side table for two. In celebration, they ordered champagne, toasting Dan's recovery, toasting the future. Waiter? More champagne. Yes,
1: sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Andy! Oh. What are you doing? Oh. Stop, Dan! Stop it! Dan! I, I, I Dan. can't!
0: Dan had seized the waiter by the throat. He was dragged off by another waiter. Back in his cabin, despondent, Dan insisted that Laurel leave. She did, but he was not alone. Staring at the now ungloved hand, he spoke to its owner. Jared. Against my better judgment, Laurie.
1: Dearest, you haven't any better judgment. Not anymore. You've let Jed's hand take your judgment, your will, your, your very self. Let it? Before I came aboard, I had a long talk with Dr. Wexler. I told him all the things you didn't tell him. Then he understood and made me understand that from the beginning, you yourself have made all these terrible things happen. Your own mind has been controlling a hand you thought was out of control. There's nothing supernatural about it. Now,
0: this is a switch. You sent me to Zorina yourself.
1: I was wrong. Terribly wrong. Now, listen. Please, please listen to me. Subconsciously, You believed that curse. Not until that day in your car when his hand took over. Your subconscious believed before that. That's why it could take over. No.
0: No, Jed's bargain was his hand for my life. I know now what I have to do. I have to die.
1: Well, he hasn't won unless you keep on letting him. Dr. Wester told me what you really have to do. Exit never done that. Accept it. And count yourself lucky instead of cursed that you have it.
0: Mm. You had a big talk with Courtney, too. Yes. Two doctors brainwashing you. So why haven't you said all this before?
1: Well, Dr. Wexler said to wait a little. He thought it was possible that what Zalina told you might have the psychological effect of freeing you from the delusions. Until tonight, that seemed to be happening. But it isn't. Oh, Danny. Danny, please, will you try acceptance?
0: The cure, the answer. It it, it can't be as simple as that. It
1: can. Don't you see? If you accept the hand as your own, you take away the power you've given it. Dan? Are you listening?
0: I have to listen. I have nowhere else to turn. All right. How do I begin?
1: Tonight. Waiting to fall asleep. Repeat over and over. I accept this hand. It is mine. It has no power other than what I give it. And be thankful for it. Will you do that? Promise me?
0: I'll do it. But I promise something else. If it fails... I'm going to go over the rail of this ship. Later, Dan lay in the dark, wrestling with the hobgoblins of his mind. The mesmerizing repetition of his words, as the psychiatrist well knew, would carry over into sleep, into dreaming. I accept this hand. It is mine, no one else's. I accept it now. It is mine, not Gantz. He cannot control it. Jed Gant. You're nothing. No one. Get out. Go back to
1: hell. Jed can back after you fell asleep. I I had this dream. Jed, He was in it. I was in it. My old self.
0: He said what Wexler said. Accept the hand and I rob his power. I I told him to go back to hell.
1: And he went. Does that mean that... uh... No, no. Only a dream. Dreams do have meaning. You know they have. What you kept repeating before you slept took hold of your subconscious. Dr. Wetzler said it would. He
0: said accepting this hand would unblock my mind. Has that happened? Has it begun? Yes. Yeah.
1: In the dream. Projecting Jed, a, a signal I can be free of him in my conscious mind. Do you believe that? Do really you believe it? <laughs> yes. Yes, I believe it. Just prove it, Danny. Well, I, I can't prove it. You yeah. can. Cross the room to me. And take me in your arms. Oh,
0: no, not, not that again, Laura.
1: Are you afraid?
0: Huh. Strange. I, I'm not afraid. Look, I can
1: do this. Walk towards you without fear. Hello, Lori. Hello, Danny.
0: <laughs> so long since I've stood near you like this.
1: Hold me now.
0: My love. Oh. Oh. I, I thought this could never be again. I'm back from hell, Laurie. I've come home. Submission to the hand, his sharp repudiation of Jed in the dream, had begun the healing process. Disturbing resonances were bound to occur, each to be conquered, but by the end of the long voyage, this man, beset by demons of the mind, not demons of the nether world, was once again, totally Dr. Daniel Crane. are those of my listeners who do not accept self-delusion as the explanation of Dan's mental instability. Yes, no doubt some of you still cling to the belief that he was invaded by the supernatural and the woman, Zarina, solely responsible for the exorcism of his demons. Never mind. What's important here is that by one means or another Dan Crane was healed. I'll be back shortly. Feeling-
1: up the way, you know you should, business by day, that feels so right, needs firmness
0: that feels good every night, be a perfect sleeper, buy a perfect sleeper, perfect
1: sleeper, buy a third eye. I'm Susan Anton, for the ultimate and a great night's sleep, get a perfect sleeper pillow soft, with certain unique top cushioning. Layers of luxurious comfort plus Cirrus patented inner construction. Pillow mm-hmm. comfort on top, ultra firm support inside. You get both with every perfect sleeper pillow soft. So remember, fitness by day that feels so right, Sleep firmness that feels good every night. Be a perfect sleeper. Buy a perfect sleeper. Perfect sleeper. Buy it's a healthy investment in yourself.
0: present-day techniques of microsurgery point to even greater future miracles in that incredible field. At this time, prediction of what those miracles will be lies inevitably within the realm of the storyteller, as we have just experienced in the account of one person's hand replaced by another's. Today, fiction. Tomorrow, fact. Our cast included Russell Horton, Diana Kirkwood, and Mandel Kramer. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. What are you staring at? What are you thinking about? There's something going on in that head of yours. Yes, Casey. There's something. What I was thinking is... Maybe we could drive somebody crazy with twin apartments. Mm, You're talking about your aunt, aren't you? I mean... They'd think they were crazy, wouldn't they, if they thought they were in one place? But they were really in another. Are you talking about your Aunt Louise? If we rented both apartments under different names so nobody knew about it... Uh-huh. If we fixed them up exactly the same... I mean, exactly. Yeah, but, but what for? I mean, why would that drive her crazy? I don't want to just drive her crazy. I want her driven right back to Maple Grove Sanitarium. But it'll cost a fortune to furnish both places. I'll spend my own money on it. It'll be worth it. And maybe I can get bargain rates. If I buy two of a kind. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.